Hello and welcome back to another lockdown edition of Keeping It Current. This week we're chatting all things Dominic Cummings and his little trips to Bar Durham Barnard Castle. Hard little 260 miles, uh, which would make a 520 mile round trip. We'll also be chatting about the return of retail in June and whether people will actually return to the high street. We're also joined by Chad Davis, who's chatting all about the impact that the pandemic will have on the aviation industry. Plus, we'll have our new segment, The Battle of the Wits. If that wasn't enough for you, Jacob Reed is back with some tip-top, top-notch political analysis. I, I think the answer is that that was enough for everyone. I'm very sorry that I'm back, but um, <laughs> nice to be back. Thank you, Thomas. Okay, so uh, let's get cracking then. First, we're talking about the main story of the week, Dominic Cummings breaking lockdown rules. This weekend, reports emerged that the Prime Minister's chief advisor, Dominic Cummings, had gone to Durham to sort out childcare, even though he had coronavirus symptoms and should have been self-isolating for a week. He then made a trip to Barnard Castle, which is 30 miles away from Durham, to test out his eyesight to see if his eyesight was good enough to make the return journey to London. But if his eyesight was really that bad, he shouldn't be driving a car, especially with a four-year-old child in it. Jacob, what is your opinion on Cumgate, as it's been named on social media? <laughs> you uh, uh, to say that all week, haven't you, Thomas? Yeah, I often. Um, so, um, I don't know. So, looking at Dominic Cummings' story, on the face of it, you might consider it reasonable. So if your wife is gravely ill, if you worry that you're going to be gravely ill, you're going to wonder how can you look after your four-year-old's son. And it's undoubtedly it's a big thing to you know ask a neighbour, he is a four-year-old human, look after him until we get better, thank you very much. Um, and so from, from that perspective, maybe you understand he had the ability to go to where his family was but 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 not you know in the same house so they'd, they'd offered to help out and um, but the, the problem comes the problem comes first of all with the inconsistencies in his story so he says he can't remember whether he filled the car up with fuel and yet that would have to be a bloody how 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 can how, how can you go on a five hundred twenty mile round trip and not fill up a tank of fuel? Exactly, and equally, he was saying, "I can prove to you that I was in London on this date because of my mobile GPS data and pictures on my phone and local CCTV." So clearly, he would be able to find some evidence as to whether he did or didn't fill up fuel. He would be able to find a receipt or a bank. Yeah, if you also. if you just go and look at every service station on the A1, just go, "Can I got CCTV footage?" You know, you might see Dominic in the. Um, uh, De De Demon Dom filling <laughs> well, up, filling up some fuel at the shell garage for this week. Um, <laughs> I mean, I other con inconsistencies as well. Um, the fact that when they made that that trip to Rannan Castle, it just happened to be his wife's birthday, and yeah. they just happened to have all of the family in the car. Um, who do you believe? I don't know. But but these details are kind of not seeing the wood. For the trees. The big, the big point is that lots of people are feeling very angry about it. They are saying, "I was in a similar mm -hmm. position to Dominic Cummings. I was, I was going through immense hardship with childcare, or in an equivalent hardship, or even worse, for example, not being able to see a loved one. And yet, I stuck not just to the letter of the law, yeah. but to the spirit. And people feel that Dominic Cummings is somehow." finding a loophole or weaseling out of it. So whether or not whether or not that's true and it seems that, that you know this this thing for exceptional circumstances for children maybe does justify what he did, people feel outraged. And more than that, if people feel disenfranchised with a process, like it's like all of a sudden it's open to personal interpretation, the big risk is that people are going to stop following the guidance, the rules as well as they were. I think, so, uh, just to go back on the rules to say some people are in the same situation, I'm pretty sure Matt Hancock said, answered um, uh, in yesterday's uh, daily briefing that to the question from um, the uh, priest from Brighton, I think, who asked um, if uh, Dominic Cummings was allowed to go for childcare. There's some people who I know who have been uh, fined for going looking for childcare 
and would they uh, review the lockdown fine system? And then basically, Matt Hancock says, oh, yeah, we'll have a look. I'll, I'll go and ask the Treasury. And then they come out about a few hours later and say, no, uh, we're not reviewing the lockdown fine system. So it's kind of like you're saying one thing when they're being questioned by, by the public, uh, but then they're going to say another thing. It's so contra- contradictory. Yeah, I mean, the government is clearly uh, spending a lot of political capital in keeping Dominic Cummings in post. And the question is why. At, at this stage, it's because this has been going on for almost a week and it would look so wet-willied for the government to make a U-turn now. If, if, if Dominic Cummings was going to be sacked by Boris, it would have had to be done on Friday when the news broke or at the yeah. weekend. Not, not, not weeks and weeks after. So, exactly. So the question, why are they... Why were they in the first place so adamant that they wanted to keep Dominic Cummings? And the reason is, let, let us not forget, that Dominic Cummings basically masterminded the Brexit, Brexit campaign, vote yeah. in 2016. Uh, it was a great um, Channel 4 documentary. Yeah, with Benedict Cumberbatch playing Dominic Cummings. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's on Netflix uh, now, so if you haven't, haven't watched it, watch it. It's very good. Um, keep back control, that was Dominic Cummings' phrase. And then get the Brexit 20... done. Yeah, get Brexit done. 2019 election campaign. He is the one who masterminded Boris's 80-seat majority. So surely, at, at the very least, if you're being favourable to him, he Boris feels a sense of loyalty towards Cummings. If you're being more unfavourable, you're, you're saying this is someone who's made himself indispensable. He's, he's, he's made himself too powerful and Boris wouldn't be able to su- survive without him. Yeah, of course. Who, who can forget get, get Brexit done? Yes. Um, also, I was going to say and, and something. Could, just to say, sorry, Thomas, yeah. but these free, free word slogans, um, take back control, get Brexit done, of course, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives, that was Dominic Cummings as well. So it's a bitter irony for him, for the government, for the country, that, um, that he's the one who's happened to be, it seems, in contravention of his own catchy slogan. Yes, yeah, so obviously uh, there have been several calls for Cummings to be sacked or to resign. He's still in his job at the time of recording and probably uh, will be after we are, this episode is released. So does this show how important Cummings is to Boris Johnson's tenure as Prime Minister? Yeah, well, I, I, important in that, first of all, he got Boris into Downing Street. Um, and in, important as well for for all of these you know spectacular big picture ideas he was um actually michael gove's special yeah, advisor yeah, yeah. When, when he was the education da- david, that... david cameron initially wouldn't let cummings in because he knew there was something shady about him didn't he you know i i just read david cameron's autobiography he was scathing about cummings absolutely scathing and i i i think as well on a side note People just don't like him. Okay, and 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 when when you see the videos of him coming from his home, shouting at journalists, move away. It doesn't matter what you think. I was right. Um, and when you read the reports, for example, of him stopping a member of the staff, taking their phone off them, and firing them on the mm-hmm. spot for what he saw, politics is about people, and it doesn't help. Yeah. But people don't like Dominic Cummings. I, I've also, uh, what I was going to say before, basically the YouGov poll has come out, um, it was yesterday saying 71% of people believe that, I think it was around that, believe that Dominic Cummings had broken the lockdown rules, and 59% of the British public believe that he could go. And also the voting intention was announced this morning, when the Conservatives, on the YouGov polls, the Conservatives were at about 49-50% last week, and the Labour Party were at about 31%. But this week, the gap has narrowed significantly, with the Conservatives dropping six points to 44%, and Labour going up significantly to 38%. So do you think the longer this rumbles on, that the polls are going to get tighter and tighter? Um, that's interesting. I think I, I hadn't actually um, seen that poll, but that is interesting. And what, what, what strikes me is that um, Keir Starmer has not been the most outspoken critic. The, the last I saw was that he'd said Boris had failed a test of leadership and there should be an urgent inquiry. He wasn't actually calling for Cummings to go, not not 
um, not straight away. He, he, just, he, just, um, he just said, if I was Prime Minister, he would be gone. He didn't say, mm. right, he's got to go. Mm. But if he was Prime Minister, um, Cummings would, would, would never yeah, would be there. Yeah, would never be there, But to, to answer your question, I think one of two things could happen. The first is that people make their judgment about this and move on. They think, you know, I side with the government or I don't, but what's done is done and let's see what else happens in which case probably the polls will stop closing yes yeah, so on the it... other hand i think it could be a snowball effect people think good god they have done a terrible job with this and in fact didn't they did, weren't they also really slow on testing didn't they stop test tracking yeah, yeah. in march wasn't there an epidemic in Kerhams? didn't boris say he was shaking, shaking people's hands, shaking hands, hands, hands in hospitals yeah um, so, also, I think it was the Daily Mail ran, ran some polls yesterday, saying obviously the Daily Mail, a very big conservative following paper, they uh, they basically said uh, 55% of conservative voters think that Dominic Cummings should go. So given that um, that a big bulk of the party that he's um, working with want him gone, does that show that his position is practically untenable? Well, yeah, and, and not just the not just the um, conservative voters and members, but conservative MPs. The last I saw, it was it was yeah. thirty and counting, and very, I mean that's thirty out of uh, three hundred and eighty or something. But you're getting to the point that there could be, uh, you know, a parliamentary majority for the removal of Cummings. Now, um, what we saw when Cummings did a one-hour press conference was absolutely unprecedented. I mean, he, he made clear at the start that he wasn't speaking on behalf of the government, he was just trying to explain his things. But bearing in mind, this man, no one's ever elected him to anything. Yeah, and, and he's wanted to get rid of unelected bureaucrats from Brussels, so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, I wonder in a kind of sensational move that I really don't, don't think would happen but maybe it could would parliament just vote would they pass a law to get dominic cummings out i don't think so but but the parliamentary arithmetic could stack up also uh to go on about uh, the government in outrage uh, junior minister douglas ross uh, resigned this week in protest of the government's response to cummings's actions jacob do you think that this is the first of many resignations from the government over this um I don't know. I mean, I feel like um, by this stage... But this, this, this was a person out. who was previously known as a Johnson loyalist. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it does speak volumes. And I think Conservative MPs um, uh, have been very responsive to the emails they've been getting. We're, we're about to learn in your interview with Chad that he himself was written to Conservative <laughs> MP, uh, our Conservative MP. Um, and, and indeed... Um, you know, there's historical precedent for this. The poll tax, Margaret Thatcher's poll tax, which which was one of the big factors in her in her fall from the premiership. Um, you had cabinet ministers uh, saying that they had old old vulnerable women, conservative voters, coming in to constituency clinics and crying because they couldn't afford to pay the poll tax. You know, uh, there is. In this country, a link. Every constituency has an MP, and every MP has a constituency, and so they are perhaps more than in other countries very responsive to what constituents are thinking. So, it, well, I, I think we sure on one thing: the journalists are simply not going to let this one go away. That is. I sure. mean, if if sure you if you take um, take Cummings' stance, he would say that the, the reason people are angry isn't because of his actions it's the because media. of how the media has falsely reported yeah his actions. I, I i think there's some obviously followers of coming some of the conservative party members are calling them the scum media this week and they're trying to pressurize cummings into his resignation given that quite well the vast majority of them don't like him but it's it's amazing that all of this has come out of of his Comings and goings. Hey. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, uh, now it's time to talk about the other news. This week, the government announced that car showrooms and outdoor markets will reopen on Monday the 1st of June. 
Also, all other non-essential retail re- will reopen on Monday the 15th of June. But there's speculation over whether people will return to the high street, given that the virus is still present in British society. Jacob, do you think that the shoppers will return to the high street when the shops reopen? Uh, yes. Yes, I think they will. Um, I I work in a in a shop myself. Yeah, yeah, That's my, yeah. my, my big secret. Um, and I remember the last my last shift. It was the day before Mother's Day, and every, lockdown was imminent. Everyone knew it. The advice at that point was to you know stay at home or to social distance. I was absolutely floored by the number of people in work. It was li- it was literally, and the, the sales figures showed this. It was like a normal day. And I remember thinking, as long as the shops are open people will go in. Now, yes, we've been through a lot since then, but equally, um, shops will be taking a lot of protective measures that will make the people who want to go in feel safe enough that they can go in. Uh, I, I think the only thing is that actually, I, I know that the shop I work in is only going to be able to have two customers in at a time. So it wouldn't, I don't think it'll take long for the town centres, shopping areas to feel at maximum capacity when yeah, in fact there aren't yeah. many people I think, actually there. I did see a lot of, um, something on BBC News yesterday was that big shopping centre owners are quite happy about this in the sense that they've got the um, space to incorporate all these people. So maybe this will result in more people going to out of town shopping centres such as the Metro Centre or Trafford Centre. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so, uh, Matt Hancock announced that if there's any second waves of coronavirus in the country, there could be local lockdowns. This would be down to the new test and trace system. Jacob, do you think that would work, or do you believe it would cause confusion as some people may be in lockdown and want to go somewhere for a trip out, but that somewhere else is in lockdown? Well, I think... Um... I mean, I think it's the right idea. It makes sense that, um, that responding to, to local needs instead of a, a one-size-fits-all approach. But I, I think, yeah, they, they're going to have to sort their messaging out because when Boris comes on telly to 27 million people and says, right, everyone, everything is shut, that's a very clear message. Um, and, um, and, and it's not going to be able to be like that. One, one thing I would say is that obviously we've seen, we were talking about it last week on the show, uh, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, they've got the power to diverge from the UK government on matters of health. Um, But regions within England don't. And so London was the epicentre in the UK, uh, but it peaked earlier. So it should have gone into lockdown earlier. Indeed, there were calls to to block out, to no one in, no one out from London, which didn't happen. But equally, I I saw a few days ago estimated R-rates, the rate of... of, It's lower in London, 0.4, I think. 0.4 compared to an English average of 0.7. So why is London, when when its rate of transmission is so much lower, waiting the same length of time to reopen as places where the rate is currently yeah, not for example, 0.8, 0.9. like uh, a southwest down Cornwall way. I think they're getting more cases now, and I think they're a few weeks behind the peak for the rest of the country. And also, they'll probably have a big issue if, say, Boris Johnson says everything's open, the tourists will flock down there and spread the virus. Exactly. exactly. So I think, that, I think that this could um, mean that more people will start calling for a federal system. That's what Germany has, where they're, they're made up of is a dozen or there or thereabouts states. And um, although they're kind of moving in tandem, there are uh, nuances between the states and they can halt things and they can speed things up. I think that sort of system would make sense in the UK. It could also play into Boris's narrative of levelling up if, in, if, for example, the North East could uh, could control its own taxes and yeah. could um, Give, know what to invest given in. Given that uh, the North East have also been told that they're one of the worst affected areas when it comes to coronavirus deaths and given that the places like Middlesbrough, Sunderland are not the most well-off in the country, they don't have the um, economic strength to get, uh, get through it in a sense. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I so I mean from from that perspective, you know, we've got the central government, which um, 
which support was supporting everyone. It's not the case that in America the support that you receive, um, some of it's from a federal government, but a lot of it depends on individual states. And so if you're in a state that isn't being particularly generous of it's just saying, righty ho mate, get off to work and good luck. Um, then there is an inequality between the support people are getting. That's not the case in the UK because we don't have this federal system. So the question would then be how much divergence, how many powers do you devolve? But it's an interesting question if you know, you're know you a politics nerd and don't have much else to do these days. Our good friend Chad, who's on later in the show, he sent me a message a few weeks ago saying that in Australia they've got the system that um, you cannot travel to other states within a state. Obviously, that makes sense in a way, uh, but good. Well, they're all massive states in Australia, but given that some counties in uh, the UK are so small, say like Cumbria, is such a vast, large uh, county compared to somewhere like I don't know, for example, like uh, Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire, and mm, pe- people, people have been, been crammed it, in. Oh, yeah, people have been enjoying. Um, being able to drive to beauty spots like the Lake District, and uh, I mean, of course, Barana Castle. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think that's going to be one of the big winners yeah, in the yeah. coronavirus. Yeah, it's I, been I, 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 I think they are. I think it's going to be like they're going to, it's going to be tourist hotspot. They're going to put a statue of Dominic Cummings there. He broke uh, lockdown rules here, this, and we got the best summer on record in terms of tourists. <laughs> I think it could be it could be a Specsavers ad as well. <laughs> you, you could you could you if could you want to test a drive, come like... to Barnard Castle. <laughs> yeah, you could you could you could be be without your glasses, and you could say, oh, "I'm driving back home to London," and then you arrive at Barnard Castle, and say, "You should have gone to Specsavers." <laughs> okay, uh, so Donald Trump, our good our good old friend Donald Trump. He's uh, waged war on Twitter for the first time after it flagged his tweets with a fact-check warning for the very first time. He has claimed that the social media platform is interfering in the 2020 presidential election and completely stifling free speech after it added a warning to two of his tweets on Thursday. Trump had earlier tweeted that mail-in ballots, basically postal votes, were fraudulent and said mailboxes will be robbed. Jacob, do you think that Trump has gone a step too far by calling postal votes fraudulent. Um, I mean, there is a very, very, very large irony that he's so concerned about interference in the election and given election that he's integrity. Had allegations about his team interfering in the election. His team and and, and denying the the conclusion of the entire American intelligence agency uh, community that Russia meddled in twenty sixteen. I mean, um, there there was there was one investigation into twenty sixteen. How much fraud was there in the election because of things like mail in ballots because of. Um, vote a lack of voter ID laws where you got to show up to the ballot box with, with a particular ID and what did they find out of a country of 300 million people slightly more than that four cases four cases <laughs> of confirmed fraud now, now surely there are more than that and you can understand if you're getting a personal ballot it's very easy to you know not you know not tell the not tell the husband and uh, accidentally fill him in Phil is in for him, um, you know, voting for, they, voting for the Lib Dems instead of UKIP. Go, going on to, the t- he's saying that mailboxes will be robbed. It's not like somebody's going to go around, oh, I'm going to go to around to Karen's house and rob her personal votes and put a cross in there, Joe Biden's box. You know, they're not going to go Isn't like your next door neighbour called Karen? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the... Um, the, 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 the wonderful thing about American elections as well is that um, you know, we think of them as a bastion of democracy, but what happened in 2000, um, it came down to Florida. Al Gore and George Bush were so close. Um, it looked like George Bush was edging, edging the race, so Al Gore rang and conceded and said, well done on winning, Mr. President. And then a few hours later, realised, oh no, it was very close, and so rang George Bush and said, oh, sorry, mate, I'm rescinding my um, uh, my past phone call. <laughs> and it took it, it took a month, and in that month, it went to, uh, basically, um, Al Gore wanted to 
check the Florida ballots because of hanging chads, which is basically you vote with a kind of hole punch. And the worry was that if you punched for paper, but that little piece of paper didn't come off, that was a hanging chad, and it wouldn't be read properly by the computer that read it, even though it was obvious. And so it went to the Florida Supreme Court, and the, 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 um, one of the members of, 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 of that was George Bush's brother, and he said, no, George Bush won, let's not reopen it. <laughs> then it went to the Supreme Court, and I think that it was either a tie there, or they decided that, that it was a decision for Florida and not to overrule it. And then, so the presidency was yeah. handed to George Bush um, because of a court case. So American, the bas- America, the bastion of democracy, has wonderfully exciting elections, um, and it seems like 2020 is going to be one of them. <laughs> yeah, especially given that um, Donald's going to steal Joe's... Um, he's going to go over to Ukraine and get them to print out a handful of fake ballots to give him um, give him a, an extra 10,000 votes or something. Um, <laughs> a study by the Office of National Statistics has revealed what we did as a country in lockdown between the 25th of March and the 25th of April. It was revealed that we travelled less of course, slept more and watched more TV. On average, TV and streaming videos was the top form of entertainment, which on average took up 2 hours and 53 minutes per day. On the other hand, reading saw a decrease, and so did... Did Yeah. And so did contacting family and friends. Also, DIY and gardening saw an increase, and most of us had an extra 18 minutes of sleep per day. We also spent 1 hour and 20... Three minutes a day eating and drinking. Jacob, how have your habits changed during lockdown? Um, well, yeah, I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping more for sure. Uh, watching more Netflix than I play. Um, I've watched what have I watched? Line of Duty, Killing Eve. Um, I'm going through Thirteen Reasons Why now, which I know is is like two years late, but um, better late than never. Um. um I have been, I've been calling my grandma and granddad every day, though, so maybe I've booked a trend about calling a family best. Um, I, um, the, the fact about uh, sleeping an extra 18 minutes a day for me is definitely not true. It's probably an extra two hours a day. <laughs> so, <laughs> me too, me too. I mean, the fact that I'm going to bed at, like, couldn't sleep about half 12, 1 o'clock, and then not getting out, traipsing out of bed just in time for lunch. <laughs> um, just for some of those cheese scones that you've been baking yeah yeah of course of course indeed and the um, the brownies I'm feeling hungry now <laughs> <laughs> okay so now it's time to chat to Chad Davis all about the impact the pandemic will have on aviation and his opinions on Dominic Cummings' actions and chit chat with Chad <laughs> please welcome this week's special guest Chad Davis. Hello, Chad. How are you? Very well, thank you. How it's, are you, Thomas? It's, uh, I'm good. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. So, uh, how are you finding lockdown, sir? Um, I'd, I'd say I'm finding it okay, to be honest, personally. I've just uh-huh. adapted to a new way of life. You know, like it's all, we've just, it's become the new norm, personally. Yeah, I'm, the, the I'm new normal. My Gold Duke of Edinburgh Awards online, that's the main thing. And uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's just basically getting all the jobs I've got to get done. In fact, in a virtual way, and with the yeah, 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 of course, days, that's course. doable. You know, if this was in the times of the plague, it was quite hard to do a lot of. Yeah, yeah, like of course, yeah. Uh, a few hundred years ago, then the germs, if you've got it, could go to them. Whereas now, if you send an email, there's no way you can infect someone. So it shows. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Just technology really has made it these days a lot, a lot easier. In fact, to cope with anything. Yeah. So, so, so your hobbies include like flying and uh, plane spotting but you wouldn't have been able to do them uh, uh, these days so have you found some new hobbies while you've been in lockdown um just really looking at flight reports and stuff so just getting an idea of the aviation industry generally doing some walking mm-hmm. and doing a lot of military tracking flight tracking oh, yeah, yeah. at the moment so just getting an idea i mean it's it's more security restrictive which is fair enough, but to the degree that legally you can access it, it's quite interesting uh-huh. to know know a bit about the Royal Air Force, I think, and just tell that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. About other areas of it. Yeah, so you'd also um, said, you mentioned to me the other week that you'd made some YouTube videos, is that right? 
Um, yes, I have made some YouTube videos. Yes, yeah, that was yeah, that was with someone in Australia who I made them with. So that was um, quite interesting. That was just I was basically an extra in a couple of videos. It's it's not that you'd be able to identify me. But that was quite good. The actions I did were it just I just made part of the videos. Just whatever can kill the time. Yeah. Really, yeah. Well, it's uh, good to keep yourself busy during these tough times. So, given that you're going on to study aviation at university and want to go into a career do you think given the scale of this pandemic that would be more difficult for you to find a job in aviation when it comes to going looking for jobs for you well yes and no i'd answer that question ultimately yes i think it will be harder it won't have done any better i mean the first thing i say that is if people just think of aviation as pilots well there's no planes no pilots there's no air traffic control no dispatchers, no check-in baggage handlers. So no, it has not impact all airport, even to like people who are employed in the car parks. Of yeah, course, yeah, no, yeah. Sorry, but military aviation, mm-hmm. that is still the case, and that's still going ahead. Mm-hmm. But then once we come out of the pandemic, you know, if there's no employees, we don't really know whether there'll be a gradual increase. So there's not going to yeah. be a rapid recruitment. But I think over time, it will come back, and there will just be a gradual mm-hmm. recruitment. I mean, at this current time, yeah, really much might, might, might take a few years to get back going. Yeah, because why would you look when it's, you know, at the moment it's slowly coming back, but they've got staff who have been laid off who they'll bring back. So, uh-huh. you know, at the moment there's no real point in looking for a career in aviation, I would say. So yeah, yeah, I, of course. I think once people know it's coming back, I think in the future there will be. Yeah. Goodness knows, but aviation's being used a lot now for transport of deliveries since we can't... Um, yeah, yeah, because overseas you get. You, know, over... you look at um, a lot of civilian aircraft. For example, Logan Air, they've converted a lot of their aircraft into freight aircraft. So yeah. a lot of it, you know, they're just mm-hmm. finding other ways of using aviation. Yeah, you know, like with uh, obviously uh, a lot of people will be shopping online nowadays, and uh, a lot of that stuff comes from abroad. So that, in a way, there's still there's still an aviation industry in that way that we're getting stuff by whether it's from uh, America or Australia or continental Europe. Yeah, it's just the physical travelling that isn't really there. And basic yeah. equipment yeah. with the coronavirus, you know, a lot of medical equipment. Mm. And a lot's been shipped to Dublin from China. That goes several times a day. So mm. that's what Aer Lingus are doing and the Irish government are basically... So obviously there's uh, the, new, so, the new rule that's being introduced on the 8th of June, the new 14-day quarantine for people who are coming back into the UK apart from Ireland and France. Do you think that that rule should have been implement- implemented much earlier? Um, yes, personally, I think it should have been implemented earlier. Considering the UK after Brazil, Russia and the United States have got the third highest cases. Yeah, yeah, of course. It seems more like a political stunts really you know it's bringing people in but it's not that we, we're the third highest so why is yeah. that it's making a difference you, you, when you're people in where it's less of an issue the virus you know there should more be screening people coming from the uk in my opinion it just seems that if it was implemented earlier it would have stopped such a big issue but i think it's just trying to show that something can be done when it won't really do anything to be honest yeah so yeah. talking about the 14-day quarantine it seems a bit Given that the first case in the uh, UK was a Chinese student coming back from China, do you think that uh, the quarantine should be introduced straight after we got the first case? Um, well, it's difficult to say because, you know, one person, I mean, isn't really going to do a lot, but that person should be treated, and if it's unknown, it should immediately be investigated. Yeah, because so given, I think given the, that they really should have started yeah. checking seeing where's this coming from and use yeah. data, international cooperation, use data from other nations to predict, look at scientific evidence and predict, yeah, this is going to come. We need to bring in a plan to stop this coming. Anything that's already here, in effect, we need to deal with. And that's that's just how I would have dealt with it personally. Because given that that person would have come on a plane and you can't really socially distance on a plane, can you, given yeah. that? you sat in rows of three together and there's not hardly any room between you and the row in front and maybe they could have spread that to other people on the, the same flight. No, no, I mean, it's hard to deal with because we didn't really know how COVID was transmitted then, so it's all right. So yeah. that's, in effect, what I would have looked into off the top of my head, but, you know, no one could, you couldn't really say, like, when, for example, you have a fire drill 
with this as an analogy, and it's like an evacuation as a set procedure you go through. Well, there's no real set procedure with coronavirus because it's not fully scientifically understood. So yeah. well, there's no set New procedure. Virus. It's very hard to make them, but I think you can tell that there's some that work better than others. Yeah, so uh, uh, I can't go through this interview without asking you about the week's big news. Uh, so news emerged this weekend that Dominic Cummings had... Uh, well, broken lockdown rules, even though he doesn't uh, admit that he did, uh, to see his parents in uh, Durham to arrange their childcare, uh, childcare um, plans. And um, do you think that he should resign from his role as Boris Johnson's special advisor because of this? Well, yes, I feel he should resign personally because I think what he's done, if he's implemented the rules... It shows, and considering people are still angry despite his explanation, it shows that even if he believes legally he wasn't flouting those rules, it shows, in effect, mm. that people are annoyed. And the best thing to be reasonable would be to resign and say something like, he might come back later if people, if the public, if the politics, or if the Prime Minister invites him, but just yeah, to yeah, yeah. accept that people are that annoyed, even if he thinks he's completely innocent, which I think is down to mm-hmm. the police, what's to check if he is or not. I mean, to me, the evidence the, would suggest, especially when he mentioned about having his driving, and he didn't look at yeah. whether he medically fit with his eyesight. You know, there's something in the road legislation that states about that surely yeah, affects does, yeah, does. Is a, if, yeah, is I think it's... So that just seems like a way of... Tra- that's like an admission of guilt to me. So mm-hmm. that, it's not my job to say, but that just seems... I, I don't really understand why, why he'd still be there, and I think it looks worse if he doesn't resign and he does get fined. That that makes him look worse, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, okay. it looks like he's uh, a criminal in a way, like he's acting yeah, against well, the law. He appears criminal from what I can see. I mean, it's such a minor, it, it's very suspicious when it's such a minor offence, breaking lockdown rules, and you even try and commit a much more serious offence of driving with dangerous eyesight, which isn't up to the legal standards. Yeah, because I think it states in the driving legislation that you have to see at least 20 metres uh, in front of you to be able to fit, be fit to drive. So it, it's quite confusing in a way that the fact that he took, he went on that drive, a 30 mile drive, a 60 mile round trip to Barnes Castle from Durham uh, to test out his eyesight. And he brought his um, wife and his son in the uh, car with him, which and uh, given, if, if his eyesight wasn't right, if it backfired on him, he could have jeopardised the lives of his family, which... I mean, the argument just isn't right. It's, it's not what you'd do. Yeah. I mean, if he was able to think about how he'd, you know, when he planned, in effect, about staying in a different house to the rest of his family, if he was able to plan things through in that mm-hmm. order, that surely he couldn't just have forgotten about the driving regulation, you know, surely yeah. he'd know about that. And why, if that really was the case, and you were so careful about transmitting the virus, which overall is less dangerous than driving with dangerous eyesight... Yeah, yeah, of course. Of I mean, course. That's just why, when that's a much bigger risk, would you do that? And that's what I'd be saying to him personally. It just doesn't make sense, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't make sense at all. And I think there's a lot of other people in the same boat, in the same with the same thinking as you, Chad. In the sense that, uh, why has he done that? He could have jeopardised people's lives on the roads. It just sense. seems like a, a lie off the spot to me to try and get away with it. You know, he should have just accepted the fifty, sixty pound fine. And if he gets found out now, I really think he should be in a lot of trouble. Or even yeah, because he's he's um, he's denied it. And if he says yes, I did it, in I broke the rules in a couple of weeks there that. He should be in a lot more trouble, given that the fact that he lied, he would have lied in front of the British public, in front of the British press, in front of the world, in fact. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, if, if he's, that, that, that appears serious, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that does seem to me, I'm, I'm not an expert with that, but I think lying in political arena appears yeah. serious as far as I can see. Yeah, so... Uh, Go, going back on to the government more in general, what's your overall opinion on the government's management of the coronavirus crisis? Well, given that so many other nations, for example, New Zealand, has less cases than the UK has mm. the average deaths, I think it's only a few thousands, I don't know the exact figure, you know, yeah. they banned all travel into the country and they can almost go back to normal lives. In Australia, yeah. it's pretty much the same. Um, 
in a lot of Europe where they suffered from it, but we knew about, you know, Italy didn't yeah. really know about the virus to the same extent as science. Yeah, because it was, it was bubbling about on the news in January, I remember, or just after Christmas. Yes, so I guess at that time, if they hadn't done the same amount of research, and in fact, I think a doctor even said this was dangerous, but I think some countries took that on board, but the UK didn't. And the nations that did take that on board became much less of an issue, but now people are trying to patch it up. It doesn't seem to work. It just I don't really understand this government's motive when yeah, oh, yeah, it seems quite serious from all the people who seem to yeah. be experts, seem to be respected in that way. Why you wouldn't take that on board? That's quite an objective kind of idea. It just doesn't seem to make logical sense, even even with from outside of the political landscape. It just doesn't make sense when the science is telling one thing and they're ignoring mm-hmm. it, saying something else, have members of who they say on the scientific board who aren't scientists. It just doesn't make sense as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, you think about the government also changed that message, that key message from stay home to stay alert, but then they're still telling you to stay home. It's a bit confusing in the fact. Because some yeah, they people... They don't say what's in the legislation and what isn't. Yeah. So they don't say what's guidelines or what they make law. You know, that, that really needs to be clear, I think, what is law and what's guidelines. And if, if parts of it are guidelines, they should just be made laws if they've got just as big a consequence, you know. Yeah, you yeah, because... You can only go out once a day. Because say if there's a guideline, uh, right, you're running out to go out to get your shopping, but then somebody goes out and uh, they go on a God knows how long journey to wherever, and they uh, say, the police stop them and they're like... Um, well, it's only a guideline, not it's not law, so you can't stop us. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. No, I think if it's not law, the police don't really have any powers yeah. to arrest anyone. So, it, 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 as far as I'm aware, people are entitled to their own opinion, but I think it might be hard to patrol. But I think if you want something that's that serious, that's going to damage the country that much, it should be law, I think, basically. So, uh, once the lockdown restrictions are lifted, Chad, what's the first thing that you will do? Um, it might sound strange, but I think I'll do a bit of travelling, to be honest, because I think uh-huh. just by travelling, you can see how different places have been impacted, and with my interest mm-hmm. in aviation or just transport generally, you can see yeah. the economic impacts, and you can even look at, you know, when you travel around, try and find out how the environmental impact has changed yeah. with less emissions, so I think just travelling, although you can see things online, just knowing things from travelling around, that's quite a good way of looking at things and observing rather than through the media about what's mm. really going on with it. I think it's just quite interesting to find that out, I find, as personal yeah. interest at this current time. Yeah, and ob- obviously you'll probably try and do a bit of plane spotting, won't you? Yes, definitely. My best hobby. And the, uh, the, chip, the chip shop. <laughs> yeah. I'm not too sure about that one. I, I don't think I could live without that one, but um, yeah, yeah, I, well. think, uh, I think I would like to do that. Okay, so fa- thank you very much for coming down, Chad, and uh, coming on the show. And basically, uh, what, would you, what we'd usually do to our, give to our special guests would be the Keeping It Current badge, but obviously I'm not with, directly with you. We're communicating via Skype. So next time, I, uh, next time we're all able to meet again, I will make sure I give you the Keeping It Current pin badge. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me so, on the show. Thank you very much to this week's special guest, Chad Davis. And now it's time for a new game, a new segment in the show called The Battle of the Wits. Welcome to The Battle of the Wits. This is a segment that pits me and Jacob against each other using different game show formats. This week we're playing Master Brain, not Mastermind, for copyright purposes. (laughs) We'll have 90 seconds to answer questions on our specialist subject, each correct answer is worth a point to the overall total after the next few weeks. So let's well, play. This is, this is Thomas. You never told me that this is a rolling total. Yes, it is. Really it is. enough anyway. <laughs> so let's play. Masked brain, not mastermind, for copyright reasons. Jacob's up first. So what's your name? Jacob. Full name. And Jacob Reeds. Do you not have a middle name? Um, no, no middle name. But um, 
Harry S. Truman, uh, president of the US, um, S didn't stand for anything, so I can make one up if you want. Okay, you do that then. Uh, Jacob S. Reed. Okay, so what's your age? Uh, 17. 17? What's your occupation? Furloughs. Furloughs, indeed, okay. And what is your specialist subject? Well, apparently it's my friend's TV show, but I'm, I'm, I'm really quite nervous about embarrassing myself. I promise I love friends and I have not... Okay, you have 90, 90 seconds on the clock, starting now. In which year did Friends start? Uh, 1994. Correct. Who, oh, who played Mike Hannigan in Friends? No idea. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> incorrect. Hurry up! Uh, what was the title of the first ever episode? Um, the one where Monica finds a roommate. Uh, correct. Uh, how many Friends episodes have been made? Uh, ten seasons of about twenty episodes, about about two hundred ish. Uh, incorrect. Uh, which band performed the Friends theme tune? The, the it's like the Rumrats or some Rugrats, something like that. Incorrect. I can sing it if you what, want. What was the first working title of the show? Ah, uh, I read a book on Friends facts. I don't know. Pass. Uh, which Friends are siblings? Monica and Ross. Correct. What is Joey's catchphrase? How you doing? Correct. What is the name of the coffee house the friends hang out at? Central Perk. Correct. What is Monica's job? A chef. Correct. What is the name of Ross's monkey? Marcel. Correct. Which of Phoebe's songs get ma- gets made into a music video? Smelly Cast. Correct. How many periods- appearances did Ursula make? Seven. No, no, two, uh, Incorrect. Three, uh, what was Phoebe's mother's birth name? Uh, Phoebe? Correct. Your time is up, Jacob Reed. There you go. <laughs> okay, oh, so I, 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 I'll reveal how many you got uh, after, but the ones you got wrong. Uh, what, who played Mike Hannigan in Friends was Paul Rudd. How many Friends episodes were made was 236. Uh, who performed the Friends theme tune was the Rembrandts. What was the first working title of the show, Insomnia Cafe? And how many periods did Ursula make? You're closing this one, eight. Okay. Okay, so, uh, and the last question, which uh, we didn't get time to do, but we song did Joey Ross and Chandler dance to with the monkey? Oh, I just watched the YouTube video of 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 um, dancing to lots of different songs on that scene, and to prove that they could dance to anything. I can't remember. Um, it was the Lion Thieves tonight. So now it's my turn. So have you got the ninety seconds on the clock? Oh, one second, one second. Um, hello there, Thomas. What's your name? Uh Thomas. Uh, full name? Thomas Ridley. Middle name? Uh, Thomas Jordan Ridley. Thank you, Thomas Jordan Ridley. How old are you? I'm 18 years old. Wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, what is your occupation? Uh, currently furloughed, but I am a team member at T-Bay Services Northbound. <laughs> T-Bay Services Northbound? Um, not T-Bay Services Southbound. Um, I am just trying to set a timer. There we go. <laughs> And what is your specialist subject? The films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, well I hope these questions make more sense to you than they do to me. <laughs> okay, go on then. I've got 90 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Are you sitting comfortable? I am ready. Okay. Three, two, one, go. How many Infinity Stones are there? Six. Yes. Which Marvel film did Kenneth Branagh direct? Uh, four. Yes. Who provides the voice of Baby Groot? Uh, Vin Diesel. Yes. What Marvel Cinematic Universe film was released first? Uh, Iron Man. Yes. Uh, how many Oscars did Black Panther win? Two. Three. Um, who made Captain America's shield? Uh, Howard Stark. Yes. What was Doctor Strange's medical speciality? Uh, neurosurgery. Yes. Before coming vision, before becoming vision, what is the name of Iron Man's AI butler? Uh, Jarvis. Yes. What does Shield stand for? Uh, strategic 
Homeland International Development Department, something? Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. In okay. which film's post-credit scene did Thanos first appear? Uh, Avengers. Yes. Uh, how many actors have played Spider-Man? Uh, three. Four. Um, <laughs> what is the name of Jane's sidekick played by Kat Dunnings in four? Uh, Darcy Lewis. Yes. Apart from Stan Lee, which actor has appeared the most in MCU films? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yes. What alien race does Ronan the Accuser belong to? Uh, the Kree. Um, what virus was Pepper Potts injected with in Iron Man 3? Extremis. Yes, that is your time up, Mr. Adin. Let me just count these up. One, two, uh, three, four, I, ha- five, I haven't six, announced how many you got right first, obviously, so. Um, oh. I, I, do you want, do you want to set? Do you want to send how many you got uh, right to me, and then I'll. Yes, you got twelve right. Congratulations, Jacob Reed. You got nine correct. Well done. Uh, so twelve nine to me going into next week's battle of the wits, which is not. So we're going to be the only podcast which doesn't say, "Don't just watch the adverts." Quiz the adverts. Okay, so now it's time for a a review of this week's show. It's been a great show, hasn't it, Jacob? Oh, I I think so. Thank you for having me, Thomas. Uh, So join us next week where we'll have another instalment of Guess Who's Talking, which will be returning after a week away, and another round of the Battle of the Wits. And also, thanks to all you guys for filling out the surveys on SurveyMonkey. If you haven't, you can go to this link, https uh, colon slash slash www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash yxt52vt. Or you can, which is much easier, you can click the link on the Facebook page, uh, just keeping it current. Or you can click the link on the Twitter page, current, at current underscore it, or the Instagram page, Keep it current 2019. Uh, you can also, if you've got any questions you want to ask either of us, you can uh, email in at the uh, email address keepingitcurrent at outlook.com or lowercase. So thank you very much to this week's special guest, Chad Davis, to Jacob Breen with his tip top, top notch political analysis, and to you guys for listening. Be sure, be sure to join us next week where we won't be keeping it cool, but we, well, will, we will be keeping, keeping it current. current. Goodbye.